The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. Donald Trump now seems certain to be the Republican candidate in this year's US presidential election, and that's a prospect that horrifies liberal America, and quite a few other Americans besides. But Republican voters in the primaries have made their mind up. Their support for Trump is overwhelming, and the question is, why? And does religion have anything to do with it? Evangelical Christian members of the GOP voted by a huge margin for Trump. So is his seemingly inevitable nomination, in a sense, their victory. I've been talking to Ryan Burge, American political scientist whose graphs on religion substack is rapidly becoming the authoritative source on religion and voting patterns. And I began by asking him to what extent Trump has born-again Christians to thank for his pretty astonishing progress so far. Evangelicals do tend to like Trump, but all Republicans tend to like Trump. This, this primary process has almost been a coronation at this point. There's no real competition because Trump has strength at really every part of the Republican coalition. So I get the feeling sometimes that the media, and especially the liberal media, which is most of it, are still thinking, not quite in terms of Reagan-era politics, but they've still got it in their minds that the Republican Party has been captured by the religious right. And I've always said the heyday of the religious right was in the 80s and 90s. And in fact, what's happening in the Republican Party really correlates with what's happening to religious attendance in America generally. And you say that very explicitly at the end of uh, your most recent blog post on, on your Substack. The upshot mm-hmm. is this, the future of the Republican Party is moving away from religiously active people. Why yeah. is that? Because America is becoming less religious, period. Like, I, I don't think people fully realize this, but over the last 15 years, the share of Republicans who go to church every week has actually dropped faster than the share of Democrats who go to church every week. In 2008, 44% of Republicans were weekly churchgoers. Today, it's 35%. at a drop of nine points. For Democrats, it's gone from 23% to 18%, only a drop of five points. So what we're seeing is the Republican Party is being radically remade into a less and less religious party with every single election cycle. And the religious right made sense in you know 1992 and 2000 because there were still lots and lots of church-going evangelicals in the Republican coalition. The Republican coalition now is a lot of non-church-going cultural Christians, cultural evangelicals who like what those words mean in terms of – um, I don't like gay people or I don't like abortion. It doesn't mean I actually believe in the divinity of Jesus or I go to church. I just like the culture war aspect of what it means to be Christian. So I'll take that part and I'll leave the other part behind. That's what the future of the Republican Party looks like. I think for many liberals, it's kind of comfortable to think the people who vote for Trump are being driven by religious fanaticism because otherwise – from their mindset, they find it you know, incomprehensible that any intelligent person would vote for Trump unless they've been brainwashed by the far right or by you know, the Bible Belt. 
I think that the liberals want to create a, a caricature in their mind, which did exist at one point, but they, then they don't update their priors as American society changes. I, I do think it's an interesting um, – the myth that you know Donald Trump is – the non-churchgoers are the ones who elevated him to the White House makes real church-going evangelicals feel better because they can say, oh, we didn't vote for Trump. We didn't want Trump. We had no other options. So they say, oh, we voted for him in the general because we can't vote for Democrats. And liberals like to hurl that over at the at the right side, uh, saying, you know, you you don't even know what your party is now. Donald Trump is really not driving; he's driving secular Republicans. So the problem is these myths are created to kind of reinforce these narratives when they don't really exist in reality. I think that's the thing: is the data is pointing us to a much different direction. But most Americans obviously don't follow my Substack, which they should, by the way, and pay. pay they certainly should. Let me emphasize: there's no affiliation. I am just. You are the only <laughs> substack, the only one I pay for, as it happens at the moment. Um, I want to ask you about conservatism in America. My friend Robert yeah. Vargas makes this brilliant distinction between cultural and social conservatives. Cultural conservatives are the ones who don't like um, immigrants taking their jobs and they don't like disrespect to the flag and they hate woke. But if you press them on social questions such as gay people or racism or whatever, they're actually not that conservative. Mm -hmm. And social conservatives are those who sign up. I see a lot of them in the Catholic Church. Those sign up to the whole agenda and they, they tend to be churchgoers. Let's look at Donald Trump himself. He's culturally conservative, I suppose, but this is something that we really only... I'm old enough to remember the original Donald Trump, the Donald Trump who's mentioned, I think, very amazingly in American Psycho as Patrick Bateman's hero. But I remember very well the original Donald Trump. I remember him in the 1980s. There was nothing particularly culturally, socially conservative about him. He was just a, you know, a New York businessman, supported the Democratic Party. I was never convinced at all by his commitment to, say, the pro-life cause. I've never thought he's prejudiced against black people or gays or whatever. He might make jokes. But I just don't think he's a true believer. I'm not even sure he's a proper cultural conservative. I just think he's immensely irritated by lots of trends in American society and that actually, in some ways, he's closer to the average American's opinions than you might imagine. It's just that he himself comes across as such a strange figure, let's be honest, that um, people find it difficult to identify with him and also there's such a tremendous social stigma attached yeah. to supporting him. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, let's talk about Make America Great Again, right? The slogan, which has, you know, is going to live in history books for for all of humanity, it feels like at this point. You know, when when some people hear that, especially people on the left, they hear Make America Great Again, they think that's an inherently a racist slogan. Because what it's saying is, let's go back to a prior time in America when white people dominated, when Christians dominated, um, we didn't have diversity. And so it's really about race. But I actually think that the real strength of Donald Trump is he's a populist. You know, he's power to the people. That's that's how he's always campaigned. I'm here for the little guy. I'm the outsider. I'm trying to reform the system, I'm trying to drain the swamp, and they won't let me. I think when a lot of Americans here make America great again, they don't think about it purely in racial terms or even in religious terms. They think about it in economic terms, which is in the 1950s, the husband could go get a job at a factory, make a decent income, buy a new car every five years, and take your kids on vacation once or twice a year. And when they think about making America great, that's the kind of thing they're thinking about. Now, that doesn't mean they're not thinking about the racial part of it, too, because they're absolutely thinking about the racial part of it and the religious part. But I think for a lot of them, they thought life was just better 30 or 40 years ago because economically, you know what? Globalization hadn't taken over yet. 
So I, I think, you know, to say it's like this whole slogan's racist and all his followers are racist and fascist, I think they're nostalgic for a time that actually did exist in America when America was supreme in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, when factory jobs paid great wages, when no other country really challenged us on the world stage, and when our economy was booming. Like, I don't think it's bad to look at those people and go, look how racist they are. They just want to go back to when life was a little bit easier for people like them, and don't we all at some level want to do that? This um, idiot who came up to me the other day, I've known him for years and we always disagree about things, but he was telling me that the religious right were in the ascendancy. And he said, did you realise that Donald Trump's original church was Norman Vincent Peale's church? And I said to him, well, like, so what? I mean, Richard Nixon went to that church, but Norman Vincent Peale was friendly with lots of presidents, including Democrats, and anyway... It was pretty much a doctrine-free area, wasn't it? He was the author of The Power of Positive Thinking. Did he write that book? I think he did. That's, that's him. That's um, correct. Yeah, and, he's a good mainline Protestant. Absolutely. He was a good like, mainline Protestant. I'm not heavy on, on, on doctrine, as I recall. That's and, right. And um, yep. that does seem like Trump's sort of church. And it's actually the sort of church that might appeal to the sort of people who don't go to church. Well, now he actually changed his affiliation. That was Presbyterian. That was the church he grew up in. Now he says he's non-denominational, which to me is is really such a it's such a canary in the coal mine of how religion has changed in America, because non-denominationals are and Donald Trump kind of run on the same tracks, which is we're outsiders. We don't need the establishment. We don't need the denominations to start a church. We don't need the political parties to tell us we can run for office. We will do it on our own, and we'll grow this whole empire we've created by going outside the system, by destroying the institutions, by being bottom up and not top down. That's what's happening in American Christianity right now. The, the religion that's dying the fastest is the, the most hierarchical style of religion, the old school mainline Protestants with all the, the bureaucracy at the top. The Catholic Church in America is, is is struggling mightily at this point because it has such a lumbering bureaucracy. The non-denominational churches are, are sprouting up all over the country. There's 22 million non-denominational Protestants now. That's more than Southern Baptists and United Methodists combined, and they're growing rapidly because they don't have structure. They don't need permission. They don't need hierarchy. They just start a church in their basement. Donald Trump, how did he become president? Because he ran one day and he won. The Republican Party did not like him from day one, but he managed to move around them, through them, over, and now he's taken over. Just like non-denominational Protestants have taken over American religion, Donald Trump has taken over the Republican Party, and it belongs to him now. I think, to me, that is the story of America the last 20 or 30 years, is the destruction of institutions and trying to live in a post-institutional society. I get the impression that non-denominational churches, which have been around for quite some time, and I, I remember visiting studying them, what, 20 years ago, they're now less socially conservative than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pro-life, but not really fanatical about it, as some people would put it. I wanted to ask you about the abortion question, mm-hmm. because I've come across Catholics who couldn't stand Trump but voted for him because of Biden's quite aggressively pro-abortion stance. I've never thought Donald Trump feels pretty strongly on the matter. Um, he kind of farmed that out to Mike Pence and made jokes about it, but... On the other hand, in terms of his actual record, and if you count the appointment of Amy Coby Barrett as part of a, a pro-life agenda, I suppose he was the most pro-life president in American politics for a long time. But now he's backing away from that because it's, it's, it's not wildly popular. The more dogmatic, the more hardline position is not really not popular with the average American voter. And I think Donald Trump is picking up on that. And anyway, he was never 
that committed to full-blooded pro-life positions in the first place. Well, think about who we've got left. We've got Nikki Haley who says that, you know what, I'm in favor of whatever could pass the Senate and the House on abortion. That's not a principled stand. That's a that's not based on theology. That's based on practicality and logistics. And Donald Trump now is kind of back to wait. Well, you know what? I overturned Roe, but I'm going to leave it to the states. I'm, you know, that's the problem is on abortion. Most Americans are in the mushy middle, but the loudest voices are on the sides, on the far right and the far. And now you're seeing Biden this week say, you know, restore Roe. They had he had a whole campaign rally with Kamala Harris, and in the in the background there was a huge sign that said restore Roe. And I'm thinking. Is that is that what you're leaning into right now, President Biden? Like, well, Biden's enthusiasm for abortion, I mean, it really puzzles me. I can understand that, like many Catholic Democrats before him, like Teddy Kennedy, for example, he might take a sort of apologetic pro-choice stance, but he's actually ferociously so. And I don't know who's got to him. I mean, at this point, he's not operating with his full mental faculties. But nonetheless, do you think abortion is going to be a big issue in this presidential election if Trump chooses not to push it as a subject? I think that Biden is struggling to know how to run because the economy is good, but no one believes it's good. And so it's like, okay, what's the, what's the, what's the thing we pivot to? Okay, it's Trump took away your right to abortion in all these states. That will be the attack line. I don't know if that's going to be that effective. I think, you know, if you look at the data, only about a third of Americans want a Biden versus Trump rematch in 2024. It seems like no one wants what's going to happen in America in the next couple of months. It's insanity to me that no one wants this, but we're going to get this. Biden actually should win from a pure like macro level perspective. All the fundamentals, we call them, are moving in his direction, but no one believes they're true. And now Trump, a guy who might go to prison at some point, is the alternative. I mean, this entire election season is just bizarre in so many ways, and I don't think that Donald Trump even himself knows how to run in this environment. And the more and more – if you watch him on TV, by the way, he's lost a couple steps too in the last few years. He's more rambly. He's more incoherent. He's more boring. I used to love watching his speeches, not because I you know, like his politics. He's an interesting guy. Not anymore. He's boring. He's long-winded. He's unfocused. It's going to be an awful election season for everybody. But – Although you may say he's lost it a little bit, Biden is suffering from serious dementia. And I think it's an absolute scandal that oh, he's being allowed to I run. Think I can't believe in the end that he will run. I cannot believe that a man who is so mentally damaged will run. Will he? I think he probably will because it's just that's the that's what you do in America. You run for re-election whether you like it or not. And here's the other thing that I'm not as worried about that as most people because as long as he surrounds himself with relatively you know competent, capable, level-headed people, they'll steer him in the right direction. I mean our country was run by Woodrow Wilson's wife at one point because he had a know. stroke. No. Yeah. You know? He doesn't, he doesn't surround himself with moderate people. He surrounds himself mm. with people who push insane gender ideology. He surrounds himself with people who push abortion up to birth. I think he surrounds himself with really horrible people. Yeah, but who's who's going to surround Trump if he wins in 2024? He scared off all the moderate Republicans. Would you want to work in the Trump White House? Do you want to get indicted? Do you need to get a personal attorney? Because you will if you work in the Trump White House. So the people that are left on the bench are the people who are on the fringes of the Republican Party, the fringes of the fringes of the Republican Party. I would rather have Biden's advisors surrounding him than I would have Trump's advisors surrounding him because at least they have some grip of reality. I don't think the Trump team, whoever's left of the Trump team, has any grip on reality at this point. Well, there we have to disagree because I think Biden's doing really evil stuff. 
I think he's pushing a sort of fantasy gender ideology. I think his stance on abortion is absolutely horrifying. And it will be well, his stance it will be illegal be in this country, by the, by the way. It will be illegal. You can't you can't have abortions that late in, in Britain. And you I know, mean, you do realize he was in favor of Hyde, not but seven years ago, right, which banned all federal funds for abortion. And in order to win the primary, he had to reverse course on that. I don't think in his heart of hearts he's He's his policy does not match his personal ideology. Well, I've always thought he's completely unprincipled ever since you know I, I remember him stealing Neil Kinnock's punchline or whatever it was. But also kind of kind of a slick operator and you know, not the worst guy in the world. But I'm, I'm I'm no fan. But I'm drifting a little bit here. If a Trump White House happens, you talk about a Republican fringe. But what sort of Republican fringe? There are mm. Catholics, for example who endorse this, I think, ludicrous fantasy. Sometimes it's called integralism, sometimes post-liberalism. The idea that you can re-masculinize, you can turn back the clock. It's not quite theocracy, but the idea is that Americans can somehow be persuaded or forced to endorse the moral agenda of past centuries. Mm-hmm. To me, that's absolutely counterintuitive. I call it Narnian because it really belongs in a children's fantasy book. But uh, some of those people going to end up surrounding Trump? Yes, and I think that – so here's here's my big my big tail risk for Trump. This is what I worry about every day. He said he's going to do this. He's going to radically change the, the, the bureaucracy in the United States and basically eliminate many bureaucratic positions at many federal agencies across the country. And I know conservatives – and this is a good line. Government's too big. It's too lumbering. It's too bureaucratic. It's too rule-oriented. But at the end of the day, those bureaucrats are what hold America together on an average day. They know how the rules work. They know how to – they're not operators. They're bureaucrats. They go to work. They go home. They feed their kids. They go to T-ball. They do all those things. And if you eliminate a third of those positions or half those positions, government's going to suffer because of that. Yeah, because these, the people- the these are the guys pushing gender ideology in schools. And I, I, I watch it. I have friends who write about issues of religious freedom in America, and I see the relentless persecution of conservative Christians in America, again and again and again, attempts to force them to accept gender ideology with the full support of the Biden White House, which is why I despise it so much. Well, the problem is that what's the Democratic coalition now is almost half non-religious people. So how do you, how do you hold together a coalition that's got black Protestants, Hispanic Catholics, and atheists all voting for you, all for different reasons voting for you? Like, how do you make atheists happy? Like, for instance, I'll get, let's, make, let's make this really earthy, right, Damien? Let's get, give a really good example of this. Let's say the local Catholic church has a teacher who's been there for two or three years. All of a sudden, the teacher comes out as transgender. Can the Catholic church legally fire that person for changing their gender, going against the theology of the church? Atheists would say absolutely not. That, that's discrimination. I think the ministerial exception allows them to. I'm not well, saying, it's, I'm not saying, I'm not saying they should be fired, but I think the ministerial exception allows them to. I think – well, Mr. Exception needs to be reined in, by the way, because there was a lawyer in Oregon who got hired by a Christian nonprofit, ended up being – you know, came out as gay. They fired him. That, that's the problem is there's no easy way to answer these questions as we move forward for the Democrats or the Republicans, by the way. Like who is going to go into a church and say, no, you've got to perform gay, gay weddings. You've got to allow gay members. You've got to have gay teachers. Like that, how do you do that from a practical sense? My whole approach to this is very simple. I think religion should have almost absolute freedom to do whatever they want inside the broad confines of law. So if you don't want to have gay people in the church, that's fine. If you don't want to have black people in the church, that's fine. But you know what's going to happen to your church over time is the market's going to decide where people want to go, and not many people want to go to a white supremacist church. 
So they're going to leave your church over time, and you're going to change your doctrine. Many churches were pro-slavery in America in the 1850s and 1860s, Ooh, yeah. and, and now none are because society changed, and that's how we changed, not from the government but from the cultural side. Okay, so what do your instincts tell you about the result of this election? That we're all in trouble, Damien. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, no matter who wins, we all lose. I think that like last time, Trump isn't going to be as bad as you think he is. I think you you are much more optimistic about uh, an eighty year old uh, addled man than I am. Not speaking of both of them, by the way. Oh Let's come on! Act like Trump is a chicken. I mean, you know, seriously, Biden doesn't know what day of the week it is. He can barely remember his own name. Donald Trump didn't know where he was two weeks ago. Oh, he, he was in a different state. Um, there's a huge difference between the two. Even if Donald Trump is too old to be running, Biden should be in. In care, and I mean that really seriously. What game is his wife playing? Neither of them should be the leader of their parties at this point. I think we can all agree to that. There are people on the bench who are much better on both sides, who are not mentally incapacitated. But this is what we get in America. you got to think Nancy Pelosi ran the show, the Speaker of the House, and she was in her 80s. we got people of dementia in the Senate and the House right now. We need to have – you know what the real conversation needs to be about, Damien? It needs to be about – there needs to be an age limit on being an elected official in this country, especially at the federal level. It, 70 years old, you're done. Go go yeah. enjoy your retirement. Do you think it's possible? Somebody mentioned this the other day that at the last minute the Democrats will parachute in somebody they think could win, like Michelle Obama. No, Michelle Obama has no desire to run. If he, I mean, er, unless she's been lying, well, she could have been, been lying to the American public consistently for the last five years. She has no, anytime you, she's a beloved figure because she's not involved in politics. As soon as you get involved in politics, your approval rating goes down 20 points overnight. I think she wants to go out being uh, the first lady and all those things, Barack Obama's wife. She has no desire. Now, what I think is possible is that Biden maybe, if he does win, theoretically, let's say, he does win, then he you know, resigns in the first year of office and his vice president takes over. It would be Kamala Harris at this point. I think that there's an, a non-zero chance, percent chance that happens. I don't know how high it is, but there's also a very good chance that Donald Trump or Joe Biden could die in the next four years. The thought of Kamala Harris as president, and I, you know, I speak as a Brit, so maybe it's none of my business. That chills the blood. Well, welcome to America. We make really bad choices, and you all get to live at the receiving end. Oh, yeah, we're making good choices in Britain. Oh, my <laughs> God. Ryan, it's always such fun to talk to you. And let me say it again, that substack, grassaboutreligion.com, is absolutely required reading. Thanks so Thanks much for joining me, Ryan.